What up, Fatherhoods Nation? If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. They've got ill creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Not only that, but Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and all that. You can make a little paper from your podcast too with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one spot. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Yo, be a father. If not, why bother, son? A boy can make him, but a man can raise one. Be a father to your child. Be a father to your child. This is KGB. What up, is DJ EFN. Yo, what up, this is Manny Digital. Welcome to the Fatherhoods Podcast. What's up, Fre- fellas? Fresh the off. goes wild. Fresh. Yeah. <laughs> and all the babies lose their minds. <laughs> Yo, by the way, I heard you, Kay, add in some baby noises in one of the episodes recently. Oh, man, they're in all the episodes, they, dude. They were too subtle before. <laughs> Every time a guest comes on, we get those, we get the Where? baby, baby clock. <laughs> Yo, Just uh, make sure you make it clear it's not our babies. Right, <laughs> right, right. We're fresh off South by Southwest. You guys got home safe? Yeah. Well, you know uh, my mission. You know, yeah. the Boeings get grounded. We get super cyclones. And then, of course, uh, my flight is the one that's delayed. <laughs> or no, not delayed. I, my flight got canceled, canceled. altogether. Yeah. Yeah. So just in the in, in the realm of fatherhood, as soon as I got off the plane, I went straight to the uh, got home, and as soon as I got home, it was in the car to go pick up my son from school. <laughs> so did you plan that that way? Nah, nah, it was just happened that way. So oh wow, yeah, I was about to say, damn, your your scheduling is insane. <laughs> I need to learn. That's, that's that dedication. That da- oh, that's a t-shirt. Dedication. dedication. Woo. Woo! I oh, like that, man. Hold on, Good let me one, let man. me pop this collar right quick. Hold on, do, do <laughs> a quick, right. Do a quick Google image search on that, though. <laughs> Make sure we're not oh, yeah. oh yeah, we can't go too much. <laughs> <laughs> Might be like twenty different T-shirts out there. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> so, but you guys, we you know, well, obviously we have fun at, at South by, but um, you guys had fun. Yeah. A question. <laughs> yeah, like I was telling, uh, I was describing the. Uh, the weekend or you know the few days we were over there to a, a friend of mine and and because they were wondering like yo south by still going on why aren't you guys there and i was like nah see what had happened was we were real strategic about how we went out there because it's like it's like three weeks of yeah <laughs> right that's just forever man right. it's like never ending but we also decided to go you know during basically midweek so we would avoid a lot of the the craziness but um, but what I found most interesting was, I mean, I looked at it as like a, a, a what's that called? Like a, a bonding opportunity with you guys, like a dad bonding. Right. But it was, it, but not necessarily a party, right. More just like us kicking it. But it was, dope. I, I think, I think we did a great job balancing our alcohol with business. And we also know to a degree our limits, like, especially in, in this age, we're like, all right, we're done. You know, like yeah. the night is over. Yeah. Time, time for donuts. <laughs> <laughs> the way the way I explained it to my girl is like nowadays we we know we have one good day. That's why I was on your guys' cases for going the day before me. I'm like, don't 
lose that one day don't 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 run out you know yeah yeah, yeah. one good day of full steam ahead and then yeah and then the other days that it's, first it's, day we were good cool man it's cool out time you know so hard up yeah, that was fun, here's a question i mean so this is not necessarily like a super parenting topic but one that i've been thinking of let's talk a little bit about our opinions on uh rappers and their sons who have come out and done music on their own and are they good or are they not good and i mean it's really just more not not to diss anyone but it's more of i'm just curious on on your take on on some of the the kids who have come out and started doing stuff on their own what you guys think i think it's a difficult shadow to get from under especially if you know assuming that that your father or mother, for that matter, yeah. um, was you know was had a great career and 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 whatnot. I haven't seen too many of the kids of any of these artists really pick up. Um, one of the ones, notably though, uh, Big Pun's kid, Chris Rivers. Know, Chris Rivers. Yeah, yeah. And it's not, the, huh? What were you gonna say? No, I was gonna say he. I feel like he's someone who stands on his own. Like he's got a similarity in terms of flow, but he's also pretty distinct in his own, and but, makes pretty dope music. So, I wonder if the unfortunate truth that you know, fact that his father's not around, is a part of the you know that he's able to really create his own lane, right? Because he's not under that shadow in the sense because his his father's not not around with us right now. You know so who else? I'm sorry, but yeah, you, know, no, go ahead. you know who else is surprisingly who surprised? I saw him live. I think it was a Rolling Loud, and it was uh, Jaden Smith. And I wasn't sure what to make of his music, but but he's he's he he he's got his own lane too. He's pretty damn good. I, when you said for what you know, he does, when you posed your question, that's the first artist that came to mind was him, because uh, you know, as far as Will Smith goes, Will was considered kind of real commercial, you know, for a large part right. of his career. Then he crossed over to acting. I mean, still well respected, but that was kind of his his lane that people considered. So, when I heard that his son was getting into music and and you know his daughter's also into music, I was a little, I was like, I don't know, for the same reasons that you know E mentioned, like it's really hard to get out from under those shadows. But he's been able to carve out a pretty powerful lane on his own, which I, I I'm not a hundred percent on board with his music. But there's some bangers that I'm like, oh shit, all right, I could I could flow with that. So I think the difference with him, sorry, Manny, the, no. the, I think the difference with him though that I've noticed, other than some of the other kids, is that he's evolved and he's really like, he's gone through all these phases and seems to have like worked through it. And I, it seems like from from a distance that the parents are allowing the kids to like, okay, you know, figure it out on your own and go through the pitfalls and, and, and do this kind of music and it doesn't work. And then, you know, and then it's like become an artist, a real artist where some of the other kids I feel just want like that quick, like impatience. Like I just want to be on because my father was so-and-so or my mother was so-and-so. So I want to be on and they don't really have skills. And then if they fall flat on their face, they don't really take the time to kind of go through the motions again to evolve and learn, you know, what it is that they want to do. And I feel like he has, like I've seen his, evolution not just in in music and and, and acting but also he's like now an entrepreneur and mm-hmm. and a philanthropist and he's doing all these other things that kind of is creating this this 
this uh you know human well, human being this creating like <laughs> like who he is as an adult is what i'm trying to say and i don't see that in many other of these kids you know hmm. who else is there there's there's diggy diggy's dope yeah there's uh king combs who's the, yeah. that's diddy's son all the kids too yeah i think almost all of them are artists uh, Benzino's son, I, I believe he didn't they have. Wasn't that oh, one of the yeah, first yeah. groups? Wasn't it, it was Fun's like Ray, kid? Ray, 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 and. Uh, and wasn't Pun- Fun's kid? Yeah, I think so. Could be wrong, but yeah, I remember they had a group together, right? There's yeah, like two little kids together. Wasn't it three of them? It was three mm, kids. Might have been, yeah. I think so. Yeah. So, and now you know, talking about kids, um, Nori's youngest, Noah, he's in uh in that. If you watch that Nickelodeon commercial. For the awards, he's the kid bouncing the basketball in the beginning, and then DJ Khaled, like the thing goes over the city and it says DJ Khaled. Hmm. So he's 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 jump starting his acting career, and I think he's got a lead in like a Nickelodeon um, pilot or something. But he's he's you know following in entertainment footsteps. Right. His father has, has Nori been grooming him to do that, or do you know much about I, that? I I can't tell you that I that I've seen that myself. Um. I just, I don't know. I can't call it. And you know, it's funny that you bring that up because my girl actually brought up if I wanted that for our daughter. Mm. Not that specifically. Like, yeah. just in general. Like, if I want to go down that route, like, now, like, get her into And my whole take on it is, like, you know, I don't know that I want to, like, start grooming her from a baby. Like, maybe taking some innocent, like, Gerber baby pictures if she got some jobs like that right now is innocent because she doesn't really know what it is. But I don't know if I want to groom her from now and then kind of like get her into acting as a little kid and modeling or whatever. Because I just would like for her to just be a kid. And then if she decides at some point, oh, daddy or mommy, I want to do that, then maybe, you know, and we, it's funny, we had that discussion today. Yeah, it's a, that's a, I mean, that's a scary thought <laughs> to put your kids in that, in, in not necessarily music, but just entertainment in general when they're young. Because look at all the, horror stories you hear about all the child actors and how screwed says, up they get and says pixelation k <laughs> right <laughs> right <laughs> now but king, now king... My, my my son wouldn't have any problem being in front of them like he's totally the opposite of me where you know he he likes to be you know front and center that kind of thing and we're always getting all the time people just random people like yo how come your son is not doing commercials or doing x y and z and um yeah, I don't, I don't know about all that. Though. With it. What I mean, if he at this age, he's six, right? So if he yeah. came to UK and was like, "Dad, I, I think I want to pursue this," would you support that, or would you, you know, basically tell him, tell him all the reasons why you don't think that's a good idea? No, I mean, I, I, I support it to the point where I can actively be involved, especially at this, you know, at a, at a younger age. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a little harder to like persuade or try to move them into something else when they're a little bit older. Um, but I think now, like if he was like, yeah, I really need to, I, I want to do it. And he was super serious about it because again, kids, especially this age, one minute they say, Oh, you know, I want to be a DJ. Next minute they say, right. oh, I want to be a archeologist. <laughs> you yeah. know, they're like jumping around left and right. So you really have to kind of like put them in the mix a little bit. Like if they are super, at least from, at least from my son, like when he f- seems somewhat serious about doing something and he keeps kind of bringing it up, then we'll 
introduce it to him or put him in the mix of it a little bit and see if he actually is something that he's into or if it's just kind of a passing thing. We, yeah, I'd, I'd support I think, him. I think that at, at his age, you know, and just and I think um, Nori's son is is around that or maybe a little bit older, but is the right if they're saying that they want to try it, it's it's worth trying. If they, you know, you kind of have to gauge and you know your your children if they're serious and you explain it, and it might teach them some work ethic stuff that might be good in it. But then you also have to be that parent that at some point, if they lose interest or they don't want to do it anymore, then you back off. You know, there's some of these parents that. They want like they want for their kid what they couldn't do in life. Absolutely, right? and they become obsessed with it, and that's the the issue too. You know, Not, never mind the publicity and celebrity, weird Hollywood stuff, but that part becomes you know like the kid takes on the burden of the parent. You know, I see it all the time in sports. So like you know, I'm a big sports buff. My kids, I try to push them in that direction, and my oldest daughter, she's again, she's twelve. <clears throat> I feel like. At the earlier stages of her life, maybe call it five years of age, I was definitely pushing her into basketball. Like there was, she really, she had like the mildest interest because she knew I liked basketball. So I took full advantage of that. And I was like, yo, we're going to go try you out and try to get you involved in this shit. And then she started to, you know, get a knack for it. Cause I saw in her a raw talent that is hard to come by. So I was like, we got to groom this shit if, you know, if nothing else, just to, for her to wet her beak a little bit. And then we got to this, like, plateau at, like, 10 or 11, and I I, I was still pushing her, but then I, when I noticed that, I backed off. And I said, look, you're not disappointing me if you decide you want to do something different. But it didn't click to her. Like, she was still feeling like if she decided to quit, that she was disappointing me. So I had to beat that into her head, like, yo, it's not about me anymore. Like, yeah, admittedly, I was pushing the shit out of this, but now it's like you're at a point where you got to decide for yourself if this is something of interest. And she kind of went back and forth, and we were in, in teams and out of teams, but then this kind of reemergence happened, I'd say, maybe a year ago, and she was like, yo, I want in. And we got her into more teams, and this past weekend, we signed her up with a, a new AAU program here in, in the Bronx. And it was the training. So to put it in perspective, it's training. It, it They weren't like scrimmaging or playing actual basketball games. They were just focused on conditioning and getting them into the habit of doing certain techniques. That practice lasted two hours. Midway through, she was ready to throw up is how hard mm. they were going. And that I, when I saw that, I was like, all right, now you got to tell me what you're ready to do because this is a perfect opportunity for you to grab a scapegoat, and I'm not going to get on your case. If you don't feel like you want to go through this shit again, it's fine. And she decided she went outside, got some air, came back inside, and kept going. She was like, no, nah, I'm not quitting. I'm, I'm going to keep going. I was like, whoa. So now she fell in love again. Mm. I, I find this, like, the whole activity thing or the in – trying to figure out what his interests are and how to guide that to be a little difficult sometimes because uh, again like I don't want to be that overbearing parent that's like no nah, you got to do it you got to do it you got to do it um but at the same time it's like also sometimes if we don't push a little bit and say no nah, you should try it you might like it or you should go even if you don't feel like it because it teaches you just kind of being consistent, that kind right. of stuff. 
Um, yeah, I have a hard time with that sometimes. My my wife is a little bit better at that than than I am in terms of you know he might say ah I really don't feel like going today. Do I have to go every day? And you know she'll she'll be able to kind of shake that off. And I'm more like eh yeah why don't you stay? Why don't you go do something <laughs> different today? We also can't. I don't think uh, we should underestimate young children knowing what they want sometimes. Like I'll give you an example. My my goddaughter, who's now. I think she's about to be 22. Um, she is. Paul's daughter? Yeah. Yeah, he told me she's going to be 22. Yeah, so from from I'm talking about like super, super young, probably around your son's age, okay? Okay. Um, she was always all about being a veterinarian, you know, playing with the, the, the little stuffed animals, and that was like her thing, and she always said it, and then, you know, whatever. She said it, you know, for as long as – she was a little kid and then junior high and then high school, they got her in a program where there was a high school that had a vet program, veterinary program. She stuck with it. She, she, you know, passed that with flying colors and then ended up now she's in, you know, she's in college. And I think she's, she passed. I mean, she's been doing it forever. Like that's, that's what she's going to do for her career. And what's dope about identifying that and supporting that young and making sure you nurture that without being like, you know, overbearing on it is that, at least now, you know, if they know what they want, they kind of get a head start. Yeah. And that's super helpful. And, and you know, that goes with whether it's acting or sports or whatever. And and back to the sports, I actually, I don't know if we talked about this with Paul, who we had in South by Southwest as well with us. Because um, he, he's heavy into sports with his kids. And they yeah. do multiple sports. Like, they'll be in baseball league and basketball and football. And, and you know, I get tired just even hearing all the stuff that they're doing. And I was, like, you know, telling Paul, like, how do you, you know, like, do you push this on them? Like, how does, you know, how do you, like, don't they ever want to not do it? And he was telling me that he actually, um, he shows them on the calendar, like, this this month or this these two months right here, this is your off period. You're not doing any sports. You're going to rest. You're going to do other things that's not sports related. And then the seasons will start again. And this is your baseball season. And this is your football season. And But he's like, they want to do it. But he's also making sure that he, he not only, you know, like he imposes that this is a break period for them, but that he tells them like now you have to think of, you know, now just resting or you don't have to think about sports, but or think about other things you want to do outside of sports to to make sure that, you know, it's not just 24 seven, this robotic athlete, you know? Yeah, I, I do want to bring up something and it's kind of going to be a tangent, but Kay sent us an article about um why our kids aren't really growing up. I mean, that was a headline uh, on that USA Today article by a lady named... Lawnmower. Yeah, so (laughs) we we talked about helicopter parents on a previous episode. Now that the new wave is a a lawnmower parent or or bulldozer parent, I think was the other way. Yeah, that was the other one. So I I think that's an amazing... When you talked about it earlier, uh, E, where, you know, as it related to the kids of artists... You got parents in general, and this kind of ties into the whole, you know, scandal with uh, Ivy League getting paid in to go to Ivy Leagues and all that. You got parents not allowing their kids to fail, right, to some extent. And that is creating a need for these kids to rely on their parents well after they really should. And I think we've talked about it on many of these podcasts and in our own personal conversations, how we feel about that. But like that is additional ammunition in my in my book for why we got to back off 
in certain cases and allow our kids to go through some of the heartache. Obviously, we never want to see our kids suffer, but at the same time, if they don't go through some mild experiences where they're challenged or there is failure on the horizon, they're they're going to be stuck in the future. <laughs> Didn't they say something in the article about like even parents of older ch- older kids and you know kids in their twenties, even thirties, like the parents are calling their bosses at work if there's issues at work. Yeah, like, trying, yo, <laughs> trying to straighten shit out. That shit is nuts, babe. Where does that <laughs> yeah. come from? Yo, let a parent. I wouldn't, of, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know what to do if a parent called me. <laughs> I'll tell. I'll tell you what I would do if if their parent called me. I'd be like, yo, you better back the fuck up because we could go outside. <laughs> Nah, it don't make no sense. But I, I thought it was a time. I mean, you said that shit right on time because we were talking about that shit, I think, in South By. And so shout out to Sanja Haller. That's the, the lady at USA Today that that uh, wrote that article. It's a good article. It's called Kids Aren't Growing Up. Shocking new poll says parents are killing kids' life skills, if you guys are not, interested. Not to be confused with uh, Latino parents, Cuban, to be exact on my end, is that they the parents will let their kids live with them till their 30s and 40s i have some cousins that that li- they still i mean they live in the house their parents unfortunately my aunt passed away and they're still there like an, one of the one of the siblings is unmarried and never left the house mm-hmm. see i you think know? that i think there's a difference in that you know i guess living with families and having ex- a household of extended family can be a cultural thing as opposed yeah, yeah, to yeah. where no no it's we... totally different cuz it's a responsibility thing that we're talking about as well and right where you know a, a kid can't even you know figure out how to maneuver at a job or how to right. you know, maneuver themselves at school without the or anything really without the parents stepping in and doing everything for them yeah and what happens is with the way i'm talking about is that the the child ends up taking care of the parent. What we're right. talking about here is the parents still taking care of the children <laughs> right. emotionally and physically everything. <laughs> I was I was talking to several kids at my old high school uh, recently, and all inner city kids like we all grew up. You know the kids that go there now and me we all grew up at, in the Bronx or in the five one of the five boroughs. And I told them, <clears throat> you know, having had experience working with high-level executives at big companies, I, I told them what I did not discount uh, when I was having meetings or talking to different people was me being from the Bronx. And I don't mean it like I'm a thug or nothing like that. Like, it's none of that. But there's an essence and a, a level of street savvy that you generate from living in these environments that can be leveraged as very positive uh, experiences that translate very well in corporate environments. So I was explaining to them how I was able to flip what typically is considered like an edgy, you know, you know, negative in a lot of cases uh, upbringing to something that has helped me succeed in the corporate world. And they were kind of like, oh, shit. Like, they, it didn't dawn on them that they had that in them as well, given that they were raised in a similar environment. And I was like, look, and I, you know, I was very clear to them. I was like, I'm not saying walk up into a company, pants sagging, you know, nigga this, fuck that. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you got a, you know, almost a sixth sense that you know how to read a room. You know how to conduct yourself in a particular manner when the time is, is appropriate. In a lot of cases, we become chameleons, 
right? In in when we when we grow up in these environments because it's a survival tactic. Like in one moment we look like this, and another moment we gotta look like that because we gotta we gotta be able to balance a lot of the situations and scenarios that come about. A lot of people don't have those skill sets in the corporate environment. They're very much on on one track. So I'm like, yo, if you think that you can't reach certain heights because of where you come from, yo, kick that shit to the curb because that's that should not be the excuse. And I left and I saw them like like a light bulb like went off in their heads. I was like, oh shit, all right, there's a next wave hopefully coming from some of these conversations. And that's the trap that we run into with uh, our kids sometimes. If we, you know, if we came up in a you know, more of a hard knock environment or, you know, we had to figure a lot of stuff out for ourselves and then we're thankful that we can offer our kids more stability and all that good stuff. But then how do we teach them that edge as well? Well, we put that, well, we do that school that we said we were going to do. Yeah. I was going to (laughs) say, yeah. Our, our uh, amusement park, school of hard knocks, our fatherhood school of (laughs) hard knocks. Common sense, man. I (laughs) think the kids are lacking common sense more than anything. Yeah. So you have a, a foundation of common sense. You know, sky's the limit for you. That's a fact. So we got a guest today, right, gents? Yes, oh, we yeah, do. Yeah. All right. Talking let's... about the family business. All right. <laughs> family business. Yes, let's bring him on. So I got my, my, my friend, my homie, home team homie, Michael Corleone Blanco, son of Griselda Blanco. Uh, currently... Got a show, Cartel Crew on VH1, amongst many things that he's doing. Uh, you know, give it up for my boy Mike right here, Michael Corleone. Blanco. What up, Mike? Appreciate you guys for having me. Thank you. What, what else? You got a bunch of other things going on. Before we get into the fatherhood stuff, what else you got going on? We we have a couple of things going on as well in the 420 community, in the DAB community. We have new projects coming out that I'm that I'm working on being executive producer as well. And just, you know, the, the same thing, pumping the brand, trying to get gigs on, on new motion pictures and even short films, just because that's my passion. Right. But besides that, the book is coming out. We got the toys coming out. We got all kinds of things coming out. Nice, nice. Carrying on. We we were just talking about like kids uh of artists, you know, basically trying to be artists themselves. I mean, your situation is different, but in a sense, you're carrying on the family business in your own way, right? Yeah. I have this conversation with my boys. Hmm. My boys, the ones that are here, 14 and 12, and, you know, they're hip kids, they're into hip-hop. One wants to be a rapper, the other one is a mixed martial artist, and it's a constant talk about entrepreneurism, I guess, and trying to teach them how to be their own bosses and, and just letting them know that it's a different day, that nowadays this is what what men should, should try to be a successful and have multiple revenue streams so they can provide for their family. So basically just letting them know that hustling runs in their blood. Hmm. And, and what's your what's your dynamic? I mean, as far as how many how many kids do you have and all that good stuff? I got four. four. Okay. I have three boys and one daughter. What are, what are the ages? One I haven't been been able to really raise because, unfortunately, I had to flee from Colombia when one of my brothers was assassinated <clears throat> almost four months later. So 
I wasn't able to really raise him, so I've been raising him from a distance, you know, WhatsApp, Skype, and stuff like that. My other boys live relatively close by. Within a couple of minutes, I could be in my kid's front door. And as you can hear, my beautiful princess, me and Marie's girl, she's right here playing with the doggy, Kilo, little under the weather. So I just finished doing the nebulizer. Just gave her a nice hot bath with the vapor rub going on on the sink, the heat-activated vapor. Got the whole technique. (laughs) Daddy duty. I got to stop for this. Because all my kids have had congestional problems. You know, like runs in my family. My mom had bronchial problems, died it. So I keep the vaporizer running for her when she's a little congested, you know. What are, what are all their ages, Mike? What are the ages of all the kids? Uh, 14, 12, 2 years old. And my son in Columbia just turned 18 years old. Wow, wow you've got an adult in the midst. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good kid. So, so Michael, this is Manny Digital. Um, I'm, I'm interested to know, we, we kind of like to start kind of you know from your own personal fatherhood story like how was how was your upbringing specifically as it relates to your dad but i, I, th- I think generally as it relates to your parents i had to grow up real quick i had a crazy upbringing mm-hmm. you know i mean i'm sure you guys seen docu- documentaries and projects that i maybe consulted on and that's not the half of it it's i had um I don't want to say tragic. It was a little tragic. I have I lost my innocence when I was a real young man. As I was a kid, my my childhood years, I guess you could say, were the best years of my life with my family. Of course, you know, I mean, I had freaking tigers, lions, and bears. I had ponies. Hmm. I had very lavish lifestyle, name it. I had it. And... I was real close to my mother and my father, right? My mother, she was, you know, the love of my life. My father was, he was my hero, but he was more of, I guess you could say he was like, he was my father. Criminalistically, I knew he what he was up to. So I kind of idolized my brother more that was younger. And I, w- I always imitated my family, which is the sad truth, but hey. You know, it's part of the game. And for and for those that may not know, like if they watched the Cocaine Cowboys, which is probably one of the more famous ones, they would. Yeah. Was it your my father? My father was um, my father's Ruben Dario Sepulveda. The one that the brother that got <clears throat> killed, right? My brother. Yeah, my father got killed. His his brother was one of the orchestrators of the Dayland Mall Massacre. They were the first mm. enforcers for Griselda in Colombia and here. Gotcha. They were the original pistoleros, the original cocaine cowboys. It was run by a gang called Los Pistoleros. And that was my father, my uncle, and then later on, Rivi in the, in the late 70s, I mean, early 80s. But yeah, my, ma- my father was Colombia's most famous bank robber. And he was, yeah, he was an actor. That's why my mom called him an actor, because in his movie, he was the leading man. Porsche 911, racing suit and gloves, you know, motorcycles. Everything was gold nuggets, bulletproof Lincoln, bulletproof Mercedes, bulletproof Mercedes limos, Rolls Royces and Ferraris. He was that six foot tall, good looking man from the movie. And my mother fell in love. And one thing that I can say was a beautiful thing seeing them 
love each other and seeing them, I guess, you know, be okay with this luxurious mob life. It was exciting mm-hmm. until I was six years old. And then I had to bury my father. And then seven years, I mean, two years later, my whole family was incarcerated, including my mother. So then I got shipped to an orphanage. Wow. Los Angeles, uh, L.A. County uh, orphanage. Yeah, and I was there for a couple of months until another mafioso came and got me, and then we kept the movie. <laughs> so, so how did how did that? I mean, that's interesting. I, I didn't realize that that's how it went down. But it, it's in my book. I would love to send you guys a copy as oh. soon as I get this little publishing deal squared away. Okay, so it's yeah. not out yet. No, it's finished. Okay, it's it's finished. I'm just finished. Some, I'm finishing basically the contract with. Uh, a prominent publishing company that I can't disclose. Okay, so so we'll we'll get away from having you disclose things in the book because we want to get you, <laughs> make sure you get that paper. That's what's up. So when you when you lost your dad and going back to because because what's interesting and you noted noted it is that you know when you look at the documentaries and all that stuff you know your mom is obviously someone in the documentaries not to be fucked with or anything like that but then. You know, you did mention the softer side of you know your mom and your dad, you know, showing their affection for each other. I mean, how did how did that affect you know your family dynamic, you and her, and and were you able to see it it affect her like that, the the loss of your dad? Yeah, definitely. Even in her later years, it affected her much. I mean, she never remarried or she never had another man in her life. It was just the boys. And even being a fugitive, a lot of people don't understand that. Okay, you see, like the soprano type of family thing with the Italians, and you know the father that goes out and he comes home. We were our family was run by a woman. Mm-hmm. So believe it or not, her dynamics was to be the woman of the house, the mother of the house. Everybody had to sit down at a certain time. If the boys went around, well, tomorrow you guys are expected for dinner. And I don't care if you're on the other side of Florida or whatever. We're all having a family dinner tomorrow, nine o'clock, be here. You know, and that was my mom. And she celebrated all, like, her children's achievements. My mother was real strict. Hmm. For example, I think it was uh, not 84, but the World Cup in Argentina. I think that was 1980. Um, she was invited by somebody in Argentina to go to the Cup. So everybody's getting ready, you know, bodyguards, limos taking off to the planes. Everybody's going from Medellin to Argentina to just stay during the whole World Cup as guests. And everybody's getting ready. My brother, Uber, Uber, the playboy, he was running down the steps with his stuff. His girlfriend was even there. And as they were getting to the car, my mom just stopped. and goes, everybody's ready. Yeah, everybody but you, young man. Why? Because you failed, I think it was algebra, he failed something. Wow. And she goes, hate to do it to you, yeah. But you know, that's your wow. business, and you're not taking care of your business. Yeah, so you, yeah, you're not coming. Oh, shit. <laughs> that's right there. <laughs> and my brother told me that story years later. He goes, yo, boy, you're the young in the house. Because my mother spoiled me. I couldn't do wrong in my mother's eyes. Even when I got incarcerated in Colombia for organized crime. Even then, it was like, he didn't mean to do it. He just fucked up. Bad mm. examples, you know? And the truth is, I was my mama's nyanya, and 
she was way stricter with my other brothers than me. And I guess that, you know, made a difference in my life. That is, she was my best friend. She was my hero. Yeah. So fast, forward, so fast forward into, like, right when you're, I guess, having your first son. I mean, I'm, I know you've gone through a lot of trials and tribulations and had a wild life up until this point. When you had your first son, your first kid, was it? Were you planning to have a family, and or was it kind of by surprise? And uh, regardless of of that, I mean, how did that change your outlook on how you wanted your kid's life to be, if any? Good question. To be completely honest, I really didn't understand fatherhood, probably until my second child. Um, <clears throat> my other boy, my, my eldest was born, well, not my eldest, the one here, though, this one in the States was born in 80, I mean, 2004. Mm. So you can ask E around that time, I was still running the streets. So I was still like trapped in my criminalistic ways thinking that it's okay. Now I'm a father. So now I have another responsibility. Boy, you need to get more money. Right now, you got to step it up. Now I got to think about. Now I got more milk, more a hundred pampers a month. Okay, now I need this. Wait, I'm living all right, but now the kidneys are room, man. I need to buy toys, and the girls have to be. The lady has to be right, and I was still okay. Let me see how many bricks I can sell this month, or what I can do this month to get this money right, and then I can chill out and hide at home with my kids. My main outlook. It's kind of weird to say, gentlemen, and I know. Um, people that work probably in entertainment like us, sometimes you either have no time or sometimes you have a surplus of time right. on, on your on your table, right? And I yep. guess that helps us to always um, not be nine to fivers. So you could take out three, four days of the week and just be with your kids. And that's what I was taught from my family. Mm-hmm. It's like, yo, we don't live to work. We work to live. So enjoy your family. So we always had crazy vacations or I'd always come home and my brothers would be, yo, what's up? Cook, everybody invite your friends. We're having a shebang. Good job. You know, and it's okay. I get it. So I guess I always wanted to be that guy that, that I didn't have nothing to bitch about. So I needed more money in order to stay with my kids and take them places or just, just provide for them. But I was still running the streets. And I thought that it was just another responsibility to live this lifestyle and get this money right and all that. Then when my other kid was born, um, you know, I got caught up in some shit. And um, I remember jumping out my kid at the daycare and saying, yo, is this the last day I see my kid? And then wow. later on when I was released, I, I was hugging my boy. And I said to myself, you know what, what? You're old. You're getting your daddy. This is the second one. Hmm. What happened if you never see the what ha- what would have happened if you would never see this kid again? And then that shit put me in a state of shock and I said to myself, yo, you gotta come up with the lick. And at that same time, I would run into EFN a lot. <laughs> Why? Because EFN had always been a stand up guy in town. He was doing his hip hop. So I was getting into doing an entertainment company and trying to get out the dope game. But it was those days that everybody was wearing eyes. And, and then it was just like, yo, I got to get out the game. And I was running around with my partner. My partner had his record business. And I'm like, yo, what are you guys doing? 
and I started, I guess, understanding that that people were into this bad guy type of brand. And then I said, yo, one day I'm going to do a clothing line, I'm going to do this. But right now, let me make that happen one day. So I got into the movie game. I got into the life rights business. And I studied the craft of buying and selling life rights. Mm. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> to provide for these kids. Because I yeah. couldn't sell no more dope or rob dope boys. Yeah. You get it? Yeah. So, no. I, I, that's a, that, that was a lot. Like, I had some questions and... Just listening I'm to sorry. you. No, 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 no. I was on Green Creek for 80 days. No, no, no. We it's, need that. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. because It's sobering, too. <laughs> yeah, nah, you got me stuck because yeah. I'm like, holy. I, I felt like I was watching a movie. That's how That's how captivating it was. I'm going to shock you. Well, my book is very detailed. Well, I think there's a lot of people who have that mentality right now still, right, where it's the, the same mentality you had with your first child is that, you know, it's just it's another responsibility. So you got to make more money as opposed to, you know, how are you making the money and is it going to take, uh, you know, a lot of time away from your kids if you get caught up in something. So I think I think that's good for people to hear now because, you know, there's a lot of that still going on today. Definitely. So you, you have... I, I, it's weird. I guess it's different times, you know. And, yeah. And there's so much other ways to make money now. If early millennium, you know, even mid millennium, we're still we're still talking pre Instagram. Mm -hmm. Like you really had to work for your reputation, or you really had to do. You know, there was no faking. Right. If you were out there, you were out there. So it wasn't like oh. These guys are, no, if I'm going to run my risk, I'm going to run it for my family, I'm going to get a shitload of money, and I'm going to retire for six months out of the year. And then for the other six months out of the year, I'm going to out, I'm going to ball on their ass, make sure <laughs> my family is provided for, and I'm going to see how many licks I can hit, and then I'm going to hide again. And that was just my routine for the first couple of years of my second boy's life, for the, like after when he reached two. And when he reached two, I realized that I had to get out the streets because I was losing friends left and right. And shit got hot. And then it's like, yo, one of my friends got life, my partner in crime my whole life. He was one of the most famous um, jam boys out here from Carroll City and Hialeah area. And I remember being with him talking and I told him, yo, dog, I'm, I'm doing something. Look, I'm about to sell my life rights. That was from my first motion picture agreement. And he's like, yeah, 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 okay, bro. I see it. I go, you didn't just see that cocaine cowboy shit? Mm -hmm. And at the time, I remember I'd always run into EFN everywhere. And I would tell E, I go, E, what? I'm about to close a movie deal. And E would always support me. He'd be like, yeah, you probably, you might do that, kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You had the story. You got the story. What are, what are your so old... That, that was the way. What do your older kids think of your family history and, and, and your mom and your dad, what, Man. like what's, what's their take do you, on, do you even on... tell them everything at, you know, depending on the, the age? Thing. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Because I went through that with my nephews where I had to tell him one time and I'm here holding my baby girl. And the crazy thing is that I guess with my oldest after it was too much, he was like puppy. And then I was, my mother always kept it real, gentlemen. But I, I, we gotta understand that we grew up in this era that kids glorify that trapping shit, and they don't know the lyrics that they're repeating, and they think that anybody could be 
you know, BMF and, and Medellin Cartel. And the truth is that I had to break it to them before they were misguided. And I was incarcerated again. And I was put in... You okay, mama? I was put in mm-hmm. solitary confinement for six months. And I disappeared for six months. So my kids were under the impression I was doing a production. Mm. And then those six months really did it to me. Like those six months was, okay, now I got to be honest with my kid eventually. Right now, he's still thinking I was doing a production in Cali. So then when I came home, I saw the kid being a little more mature. You know, internet was out and all that. I mean, uh, people, Cocaine Cowboys 2 had come out. And now people were Googling and this and that. And then I'm like, okay. I started doing TV when I was released. And I started doing, you know, consultation on projects. So I was really on projects. So my kid, I remember one time before before I was incarcerated, I showed up at a Burger, at a Burger King. And... Papa, mm-hmm. I got most opening up the, the <laughs> soup for the baby. Yeah, Thank you. Hey, head, head of your business. This is this is real life we talking about right now. Yo, real life, <laughs> for real. My Cuban Colombian daughter wants her papa because <laughs> she's Cuban. So no me dice que me la sopa, papi la papa, <laughs> and that's her slamming the microwave as I hold her in one hand, the phone in my ear, and press the minutes. Gentlemen, I do this. I do this shit every day. <laughs> so, yeah. So then uh, somebody asked me for a picture. And that's when I would always run into E. What was that, E? 2007, 2008? Yeah. Around that. Around that time. No, 2008, let's say. And, okay, yo, can I get a picture? And I'm like, yo, picture for what? And he's like, of you. And I'm like, uh, I think you're tripping. <laughs> and he's like, I'm like, you know who I am? I go, you know who I am? He goes, yeah. I go, where you know me from? I go, like, chill out, little homie. Where you know me from? And he's like, I've seen you balling in the clubs and throwing Mama. money and doing this and doing that. And I said to myself, yo, that's crazy. And my kid's like, why, why, do, why do you want a picture, daddy? I go, papi, right, I'm thinking it's because a lot of people kind of know me in town now because I'm, you know, like I'm a record business and mm. I couldn't tell the kid daddy is because um, grandma was a famous mobster and your dad is a local trap boy, jack boy. <laughs> I couldn't tell the kid that I was still in fear to take the piss. I'm like, wait, will you know me? And then I snapped out of it and I'm like, I got to make something from this so, so I can really like yeah, at least a B-class celebrity in the pictures were something instead of that ex-bad guy that's doing life. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mike, are you ever, and, and if you don't want to talk about stuff like this, we could edit it out, but I've always wondered, like, are you ever worried about your safety and your family's safety based on everything that's happened with your family? I, um, wor- I wouldn't say worrying. I'd say that I'm I'm cautious hmm. in fear. The fear don't live here. You know, I belong to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm covered in the blood in Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ, and I've seen it all. As far as cautious, yes, of course, cautious. You know, especially now with that I'm, I guess, 
apparently popular. I don't know what to say, but now I'm like everywhere. So now people recognize me everywhere. I'm with yeah, my wife got, and kid. Yeah. yeah. They're going to recognize you, know, you before you recognize anybody. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then I don't want to, I don't want to put my kids in a position that, that they see me turn to a savage. So now it's, it's like back in the day, Z. I either got one or two giants with me at all times. And I, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'll sit down and have lunch with my kids and then people respect that. And I found that, that lately, a lot of people respect that. And I'm like, yo, how cool. They're not messing with me. Yeah. So now that you have, now that you have a, she, your daughter, she, you said she's two. Yes, sir. So now that you have a two-year-old, you know, you're kind of, I guess, not starting over, but it's a fresh start in terms of having a young child. What's your, I guess, what's your new outlook on on parenting now that? Oh, it's starting got... over, one hundred percent. Especially in the age difference, because when was the last time you changed pampers? Jesus. Or when was the last time? You had to heat the milk. If my kids already grown, one's fourteen, one's twelve. Yeah, it was a complete reculture shock. I had to be reprogrammed. Mm. And at the time, I was going through, you know, my probation, and I got to be on my best behavior. And this little girl needed me, so I had to be daddy daycare again. While she was working as a paralegal, I was getting Pierre Blanc off the ground, so I had to always be pendiente de mi niña, you know? For her first couple months, she couldn't go to daycare. You know, she's a little baby. I had to take care of her. So I would juggle that with the wifey. And God is great. The Lord provides in abundance. And we figured it out. But yeah, it was definitely restarting all over again. New woman, new child. Um, never had a daughter before. Only had boys. You know, so... One thing I can say about having babies or young kids is it's it'll humble you, Oof. for a hundred percent. You changing diapers, you change, you know, you you feeding them, you gotta adhere to them. Like it'll definitely humble you. Yo, you know what the best part is about that is when you're changing a diaper. Yeah, hay un, una pila de mierda. Un mojón. Un mojonazo, right? And you're state of shock because you didn't know something that size could shit that much. <laughs> on top, on top of that. You somehow smudge your finger in that shit, and you keep it, it moving, and it you keep it moving. Yeah. No, and your nails were extra long because you just forgot to cut them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's something. Now I'm dealing with the terrible twos. Yeah. So now she, now she, I'm starting to like, I want to potty train her. So I'm starting to potty train her or the wife is trying to help. But, you know, so long story short, she will show me that. It, oh, I just pissed the shit myself. Papi, caca, caca. And if I disregard it for two seconds, she's going to show me. Oh. Like, Look, you don't see the shit in my hand? I told you. <laughs> two minutes ago. Change me now. <laughs> yeah. so that's what I'm going through now. How does your wife get along with your sons? It was a process, but they they were good kids, man. My boys, I'm very militant with my children. Sometimes I, I think I was too strict because I didn't want them to come out like I did. or I, I always wanted them to remember um, that we're fucking warriors, that they come from bloodlines of kings. So I trained them in the martial arts since they were five years old. I had a profession. I had two professional gyms, so they grew up around professional fighters. Mm. When they first started, they were they were being trained by world champion. 
you know, karate, and then they got into MMA and um, Muay Thai. Wrestling now, my other one's wrestling now. He had eight tournaments this season. His goal is to be a college grad and a professional UFC fighter, and the kid is disciplined out. And I was very yes or no sir with him, so, yeah. What what would you say, Michael, um, you know, as far as how you're raising your kids and the things that you're trying to teach them, what would you say is the biggest lesson that you learned, you know, from your experiences that you try to impart onto them as they're developing and growing? Uh, I don't know. I guess it's, I guess as fathers, we don't want them to learn by experience because if you grew up in the nineties, you know, I grew up in California and in Miami. So in the nineties, you had to experience stuff hands on. And I guess, I guess, I don't know. I guess my thing would be just to make them have knowledge before they try anything that could put them in harm's way. Or I'm, I'm constantly stressing to my kids about, you know, who you hang around with and all that, like people that, you know, that are just bad to be around. And I constantly understand, like I said, I'm very militant with my kids. So I always tell them, kids, what does everybody have? And they say a double agenda. Mm. And I always tell my children, what are, what are we at? We are what aware of our surroundings. Children, what are we? We are lions. What do lions do? They eat lambs, puppy. I'm going to eat. And that's just how we are. Yeah. Uh, we try to just to make them understand that, 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 you know, that they have to be better than me. So I guess that's why I had to tell them the truth or mm. the truth also because, I mean, it's better for them to hear from the horse's mouth and let me tell them, yeah, don't believe the hype. Everybody thinks it's this, this, and that, yeah. But I'm telling you from experience, it's rough. Kids, you got it easy. Don't ever do what I did. And daddy wasn't around. I neglected my family sometimes. And I guess I'll, I'll never do that again because I want them to, to understand. I, I wouldn't want the next man to teach my kids something. You right. feel me? Damn. My brother. Yo, um, appreciate you doing this, man. You know, we could talk forever. But yeah, we, guys, we, appreciate you. Because we have kids, we all trying to stick to a strict schedule. <laughs> but you know, you always welcome back. And hey, are you gonna do a season two of Cartel Crew? What's going on, gentlemen? Can't really talk about it. <laughs> but, all right, well, come back when you sign the papers. <laughs> all right, guys, I appreciate you, man. Thanks, My man. Dog, man. Anytime you want to come brother. through. Yeah, right, I'm, I'm looking. I'm personally looking forward to that book. So when that comes out, I'm I'm copping a few of them joints. For sure. I got you guys, man. For sure, for sure. Ah, right, my brother. Good looking out, dog. Man. Big hug. God bless you guys and God bless your families. All right, Peace, man. man. You Same. too. Peace. All right, one.